you deserve more than that. You deserve more than that. I don't know about you, but when my alarm went off this morning, I was like, oh, shit. This is going to come back to haunt me. My name is Adam Harold, and on behalf of Bethany Church Ministry, I pray that you would desire to see myself and my wife as part of the youth service here at Bethany Stunt Thank you. This is not where I parked my car. What is going on? Nope. Anyone else nervous? Just me? All right. You know, uh, Pastor Adam asked me to do this back in January, and uh, man, I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. I'd love to do that. And about five minutes ago, I was like, this is not a good idea. I am no, I don't know. I'm not ready. I can't do this. But you know, the truth is, is that my journey to be here up on this stage started about four years ago when I was going through a storm. And uh, I, I also told myself that I was not going to let my eyes get swept in tears. So stay with me. It's about four years ago. Uh, I was going through a pretty bad storm. I thought that, man, my, my whole family's being ripped apart right now. Luckily, I had a spiritual mentor from the most unlikely of places, and she told me, get on your knees and pray. Ask Jesus for help. So I did. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't accept Jesus in my life yet. I believe, and I always use the excuse, well, I don't need the church to prove my case. said that. I said, I trust you. I said, just, I just pray that you will do what's best for my family. I didn't know what that meant. But about two months later, my lovely wife came into my life. Blessing. A short time after that, Sylvester. If you haven't had the opportunity to meet that little meatball, he's in Littles right now, tearing things up eating everything in sight, getting ready for football season. And uh, and then a short time after that, I'm sitting in these very seats, back in that corner, Ashley. And it was the week before we started the refuge. And my wife and I had been to interest meetings. We went to one interest meeting in like December before we started in March. And I... I, I after that interest meeting, I was like, I'm all in. Yeah, I want to be a part of this. 
and a couple months later, we gave our lives to Jesus sitting in those very seats. There you go. We turned it over to him. And then, you know, last summer, I went to a conference that Pastor Adam invited me to go to. And uh, I, I, I just you know, got a chance to see all these other pastors from all these different walks of life. And I had this stereotypical idea of what a pastor should be and who really should be speaking God's word. And ladies and gentlemen, there's, there's like, you know, God uses the most unlikely of people. And he made that very clear to me. And I was, I fought it. I fought it hard. I, I was like, no, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to be up here talking about you. And man, it just, you know, I fought it hard. I didn't tell anyone for months. I didn't even tell my wife. I was like, no, nah, I can't. I'm, I'm embarrassed. And then finally, I broke down. I told her. She encouraged me and stood by me. And she told me, you need to talk to Pastor Adam about it. So finally, I did. And January, he asked me to do this. And I thought I had a message, like, down. I'm like, man, I got this, right? And I don't know about you, but I do my most quality praying time when I'm alone in the car. Anyone else? Yeah, I'm like, I'm singing. I'm praying at the same time, right? And, and like, God's talking to me when I'm in my car by myself. And I'm talking out loud. I don't know can hear me, but he can hear me. Well, I was on a road trip back from Florida. If any of you have made that drive, you know how long that drive is. So I had this message, and I wanted to talk about Job. And I had a, I, I had read Job, and I'm like, you know what? I'm, this is what I'm talking about. He's going to be the one. This is important.
I'm a good person, and I do good things, but God is good equals I should be blessed with good things in my life, right? Because I'm a good person. I deserve this. So why would you take it away from me if I'm a good person and I do good things? That's how they were viewing that. It's important to know who Job is at this time because you have to know just what he suffered through and the storms that he went through in order to figure that out. Job didn't have the luxury that we have today. There was a team before Jesus. And he didn't have the mediator that we have. He didn't have anyone that came down and died for his sins. Job is the oldest book. It's a long one. We're going to be here for a while. All right? 42 chapters. You ready? <laughs> yeah, road trip. Let's, let's do it all over again. <laughs> I believe that this book was written not for the non-believer, but for the, for the believer, for the Christian. It's meant as a warning to us not to stray off your path with your walk with God, but to stay on it even though it's hard, even though you think it's better on the other side. Stay on that walk with him. Job was the richest man in the area. He had everything. He lived in the land of Uz. He had wealth, land, happy home. He had cattle and sheep. He was blessed. He was in the ten kids. I don't know. I have two and I want to pull my hair out. I'm already losing it. He has ten. Seven sons and three daughters. We have to dive into what's going on and why Job is this way and how he feels that this is not supposed to happen to him. Let's get into Job. Who's ready? I said, who's ready? All right, there we go. Come on. I know we can't stay awake over here. So, Job's first test. Job chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. sit in for a minute. Could you imagine if you're fortunate enough to make it to the kingdom of heaven and you find out that God spoke about you like that? Come on. You're the finest person in all the earth. A man of integrity. Upright life. Blameless. God knows everything. It's important to know that because he knows past, present, future. He knows what you're going to do before you do it. He knows what you're going to say. He knows how you're going to answer the questions. Which is why when I first read this, it didn't make much sense. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, why does God even ask Satan where you've been? Right? He knows. He knows that you've been patrolling the earth. He also knows that he ran into Job. This isn't a bet. 
God doesn't allow gratuitous suffering. This isn't for no reason. God knows what Job is going to be tested with before Satan even does it. He knows that already. And he knows how Job's going to take it. But he's allowing Job to suffer to hopefully bring him back to him and change his point of view. It's also important to note that God is the one that brought Job into the conversation, not Satan. This isn't Satan's idea. This is God's idea. So Satan designs what seems to be a perfect storm in Job's life. This is nasty. Who's ready? I'm not. Hold on. Anyone else's mouth dry? Okay. Job chapter 1, 13 through 19 says, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals. They killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another message arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all of the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting at their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed. All of your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Holy cow. One day, and everything is gone. How many of you have felt how Job must feel right now? A storm in your life that just seems like nothing can ever go right. Job is hit with all this in one day, loses everything. But what's important to me, what stands out, what God pointed out to me was how Job reacted to this. Job shaves his head, rips off his robe, and says, Lord, I came into this world naked and I will leave the same way. But it's what he says next is what really gets me. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, at first glance, man, that was good for you. Like, I don't think I would have reacted that way. As a matter of fact, I know I wouldn't have. And the storms that I've gone through in my life, I did not talk about God. I talked to him. Job is talking about God right now. He's not talking to him. He didn't ask for help. Isn't that, I mean, to me, that's weak. Why wouldn't you ask for help right now? It wasn't that long ago in my life where I was like worse than paycheck to paycheck. I remember scrounging through couch cushions, trying to find enough loose change to go to the dollar menu at pick a fast food restaurant. 
Anyone else been there? When you think that, man, I don't even know how I'm going to pay my rent. Power's going to get shut off. I have no money for food. I'm scrounging for couch cushions. I've been in situations because of the things that I've done in my life where I feel like, where I felt that I wasn't going to make it out alive. My first tour in Iraq was one of those situations. <laughs> my parents can probably tell you, you know, slightly, a little bit about that because I was on the phone with my mom when we had mortar fire come into the base. And I said, I got to go. And I heard her as I put the phone down. I said, what do you mean? And I just hung up. Phones were down. The mortar fire came in. And I felt like that was the time where God had saved me because why wasn't it my time? I prayed to him. I asked him for help. I spoke to him. That was a turning point for me. Job didn't get there yet. And because he didn't get there yet, God allows him to be tested again. Satan goes back to the heavenly court, has that same conversation with God about how he got there. God's pretty proud of Job at this point because he's like, well, he didn't curse my name. What else you got? But God allows him to be tested again. And Satan replied to the Lord in Job 2, 4 through 7, he says, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do them as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. I don't have any experience with boils, but I looked it up on the Google machine, and it's bad, real bad. <laughs> it is horrible, okay? I don't know. His whole body from head to toe is covered in boils. What this means for Job is that he can't do anything without being in excruciating pain. He can't sit down, he can't walk, he can't crawl, he can't run. He can't even put on clothes without being in pain. Finally, Job's wife is like, haven't you had enough? Curse God and die. His own wife tells him just to give up and die. I mean, come on, come on. Now, I'm not condoning this and how Job responds to his wife, so... Fellas, don't go home and do this, okay? Trust me. I probably wouldn't be up here if I did it. Job responds to his wife, and he's like, you talk as a foolish woman. Yeah, let that sit in. Yeah. You talk as a foolish woman. Should we only accept the good things that God gives us? He's got a point. Doesn't he? Should we only accept the good things that God gives us? So even now, Job is still, he's not cursing God, but he's still not walking with him. He's still not talking to him. He still distanced himself. He still has a wall. 
blows the wall up. Bad news travels fast. Job has three friends that show up to help him out. Well, they try to help him out. In this time frame, it was customary that a visitor to your home wasn't allowed to speak until the host or the homeowner spoke to them first. Come on, somebody. Wouldn't that be nice today? Huh? Thanksgiving would be so much fun. You know that friend that shows up and he wants to tell you all of their stuff that's going on and you're like, I don't want to hear it. Don't talk to me. That would be good. <laughs> Man. So Job and his friends, yeah, right? So Job and his friends, they sit there for seven days in silence. Where is my 10-year-old right now? He can't go seven seconds without speaking. Job sat there for seven days. His friends, they didn't say anything to him. And what stands out to me is that isn't silence sometimes the best answer? Why do we always have to give an explanation? Why do we always have to reason with someone else's pain and suffering? Why do we have to tell them things like, well, God doesn't give us anything we can't handle. Seriously? That's not even true, but seriously? I mean, all my kids are dead. I lost everything. And now I'm covered in boils. I don't think I can handle it. I mean, it's got to be what's going through his mind, right? I mean... I don't know what's going through my mind right now when I read it. I'm like, who is this? What? We don't always have to give a reason. But we have to trust God. Okay? When Job, when the first of his friends to speak, his name is Eliphaz, he offers Job this advice. In Job 4, 7 and 8, he says, Stop and think. Do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. So, Eliphaz is telling Job, you obviously are not prospering because you did something wrong. God only punishes people that do wrong. They don't, he doesn't punish the innocent. Back to that equation. I'm a good person, I do good things, God's good, I get good things. Job doesn't like that, so Eliphaz tells him, well, then it must be because you don't fear God. So he's wrong, and he doesn't fear God. Job doesn't like that. So Bildad, this is the second of Job's friends to speak, in Job 8, 5, and 6, Bildad says, but if you pray to God and seek the favor of the Almighty... And if you are pure and live with integrity, he will surely rise up and restore your happy home. Think about it. Bildad's telling him, well, if you just repent of all the things that you must have done wrong, then all of your stuff will come back. What? Job's like, I didn't do anything wrong. So he tells him, well, you had to have done, because God only punishes those who do wrong. 
Man, Job is like about to strike out in friends right now. He's 0 for 2. They're not helping him at all. Zophar tells him this. He's the third of Job's friends to speak. And he tells Job in Job 11.6, he says, If only he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom is not a simple matter. Listen, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserve. I should have got worse. Huh. <laughs> he's telling Job, he's telling, he just told Job that, man, you know what? You got off easy. <laughs> you lost everything. Yeah, your kids are dead. You got some bills. But yeah, you could have been worse. Tell me, what? Are you kidding me? Job has had enough. At one point, he says, You guys are miserable friends. You guys are horrible at this comfort thing. I wish I would have never spoke because then you couldn't have spoken to me. That's got to be what's going on right now. At at one point, Job curses the day that he was born. I've never been there. I don't want to. But he's there now. He wishes that he was never born. This whole time his friends are speaking through this whole conversation and and most of Job is Job is proclaiming his innocence. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve this. Why should I be punished? I'm a good person. I do good things. Why are you taking this away from me? Why are you causing me such pain? It's all about him. He still doesn't realize that he has to walk with God, and that's why he's going through this right now is because he's lost his way. Job wants vindication. He wants a mediator. He wants someone to clear his name. He's more concerned with his reputation. He's more concerned with the fact that he still believes that he's done nothing wrong than actually walking with God. But Job doesn't have what we have today. Job doesn't have Jesus. He doesn't have the mediator. He doesn't have anyone that's come down to die for his sins yet. So Job feels this way because, and his friends feel this way, and all of this, all of this feelings, it's all wrapped up in the assumption that he's in control of his life. And what happens in it. Ladies and gentlemen, Job and his friends are living his their life by this equation that if I'm good, I do good things. I'm a good person. I should be blessed. I shouldn't be punished. But what they don't realize is it's not here. They're not doing it for the right reason. They're doing it to get things. They're doing it so that they live a good life. It's not about checking a box. It's not about this list of good things that you've done and good deeds and I'm, and I'm this and I'm that. It's not about you. We're reminded of that in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't buy your way into heaven, ladies and gentlemen. You can't buy grace. It was given to us by a father who loves his children. There's a story of a father and a daughter standing on a sidewalk. steps out into traffic, but her father sees that there's a bus coming, and the only thing he can do is reach out and grab her by her ponytail and pull her back to safety. She looks up at him and she says, you hurt me. Why would you do that? Why would you cause me pain? I'm your daughter. She says, I did it to save your life. I know it hurts now. But I did it for a reason. And isn't saving your life more important than a little bit of pain and suffering? How many times have we seen that? I know I've seen it. How many times have you seen someone who's going through a crisis? They might even be on their deathbed. They don't know God and his son Jesus yet. But on their deathbed, they find him. And their eternal life is changed through that suffering. person is worth it. If one person is standing around that person and they pray and they ask God for help and they ask God to come into their life and they turn their life over to his son Jesus, isn't that worth it? Is that little bit of pain and suffering worth your eternal salvation? I think so. I also think the mistakes that we make in our sin, because we all do it, God knows we're going to. How many times have you prayed and said, God, if you help me right now, I won't ever do a bad thing ever again. I've said it. I can't even count how many times I've said that. But God knows we will. He knows we're human. He designed that way. So if we live life by the mistakes that we make and the sins that we make, plus a father's love and grace for his children, equals the reward that he's already given us. His son, Jesus, who came down, his most prized possession, his most loved possession, he gave him to us to die for our sins, to save us, because that's what a father does. haven't been on that walk yet. 
this is the time. There's no better time than now to right that path, to find his son and turn your life over to Jesus. If that's how you feel right now, I invite you to say this prayer with me, Pastor Adam. I know that later today I'm probably going to do something that's wrong. And tomorrow I'm probably going to do something else that's wrong. And I'm probably going to do a whole lot of things that are wrong throughout the week. Because you see, when we 
person? Why shouldn't I have you? Is there anybody that, that would be bold enough to raise their hand and say, that's me, I've been trying to be bold. Hands all over the place. I've got bad news and good news. The bad news is you can never be good enough. The good news is you don't have to be good enough. So if you raise your hand. trusting yourself and start trusting you. Would you say this prayer with me? Raise your hand. Would you say, God, I know I've done wrong. And I know that I could never be good enough to get to you on my own. And I know that is why. to be there to show you, no, it's okay. God still loves you. 